Let us pray. Lord, thank you for stilling our soul. Thank you that you're always good. Thank you that you feed us with your word. Your word helps us to see things with spiritual eyes that we may not see with our physical eyes. But we know that your word gives us a deeper truth than that which we may see naturally. It points us to a deeper reality. We pray that you would help us to build our lives on your truth. And we turn to your word now. We ask that you would come with the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jonathan Glover is the director of the Center for Medical Law and Ethics at King's College in London. And he wrote a book uh, called Humanity, A Moral History of the 20th Century. In that book, he says that the 20th century has been the most bloody century in all of human history. He estimates that... uh, from the year 1900 to 1989, that in just wars alone between nations and individuals, 86 million people um, were killed. That averages out to 2,500 lives um, a day. Let me check my notes. 25 lives lost a day, or 100 people on average losing their lives each hour because of war alone. Uh, On top of that, as you know, there have been horrible genocides in countries like Cambodia, Yugoslavia, Rwanda, um, and at the hands of people like Hitler and Stalin. And so he estimates that about 120 million additional lives are lost just just by genocides. And so really the, the statistic averages out to over 250 people dying in the 20th century every hour because of wars, because of genocide. Now, what leads to that kind of violence? That's what I want to look at this morning. What what leads to that just meltdown of human society? We're in the series called Jesus in Genesis where we're looking at where we see Jesus hidden in the the very first book of the Bible. And uh, we're going to look at a story today that provides the background for this kind of human meltdown. It doesn't give us the complete picture, but it gives a, a large part of the reason that the 20th century, I think, was the, just the bloodiest um, that we've seen. So we're going to look at a story that helps explain that. Uh, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 4. If you brought your Bible, I'm glad you did. Open it up to Genesis 4. If you didn't bring your Bible, you can find one underneath the seat in front of you or to the side of you. Grab one of our Bibles if you didn't bring one. Uh, and You can turn to page 4 of one of our Bibles to get to Genesis chapter 4, very beginning of the Bible. And we'll start with verse 1. Now Adam 
made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son, Enoch. Now, this story presents uh, the, the telling of, of the first city being built. Of course, a city means a, a civilization, a culture. A culture reflects the, the people who, who create it, build it, and add to it, right? And so we can think about what kind of culture would that have been, that very first culture, that first city that was built? What would it be like? Now, this story helps build a bridge between Genesis chapter 3 and Genesis 3. There's just two people, right? Adam and Eve and Genesis chapter 6. And in Genesis chapter 6, God looks at not two people, but all of humanity, and sees that all of humanity is so wicked, so evil, that God takes the life of all living creatures with the flood and starts over again with Noah. This story, Genesis chapter 4, helps build a bridge between two people to all of humanity being so wicked. So we can guess at what that first culture would have been like.
how did that meltdown happen? So we're going to look at the envy of, of Cain this morning. There's all kinds of New Testament commands saying, get rid of envy, get rid of it. And of course, the last of the Ten Commandments from the Old Testament says what? Do not covet something that you see from a neighbor, a person living down the street, someone at your office, living in your neighborhood, that you want for yourself. Don't covet. Why all the prohibitions? Why the get rid of envy? Because of its destructive power. So where did Cain's envy start? I want to start looking at that. If you think through the, what is told at the beginning of the story, there's no indication that Cain and Abel were on bad terms necessarily. There's no indication that Abel was this horrible younger brother, that Abel was just outdoing Cain in every way, wasn't a better athlete necessarily, and just rubbing his older brother's face in it. Where did this envy come from, in other words? Cain is deeply envious of God's favor shown to Abel. How did it start? We see this about envy. Envy begins with a sense that life isn't fair. I want you to think about how Cain got to that thought, that life isn't fair. God accepted Abel's offering, not Cain's. Something was wrong with Cain's heart towards God. And one of the ways that we see this is Cain's response when God confronts him and says, just do what is right and you will be accepted. Because that's kind of an open door for Cain to maybe soften his heart, right? And, and, and ask for God's help. But that's not what happens with Cain, is it? Cain gets angry. See, he has these expectations that he has placed on God. God, my brother and I, we both brought you something. We both did something for you, God. And my expectations aren't met because you have accepted my brother's offering. You have not accepted mine. What's wrong, God? Life's not fair. Envy begins when you see prosperity of some kind coming to others. And you think, you don't don't have the mental thought necessarily that this is how it should be, but internally you think, and I have, every, I have every right to that prosperity that someone else is getting, except I'm not getting it. It's not fair. Why do some people get all the luck? Why do some people get the breaks and I don't? Life's not fair. And so we see something really insidious about envy. Envy At the heart of envy is the spiritual gripe with God about the fairness of life. Life, in some way, isn't going how I wanted it to go or planned it to go. I'm discontent with what God is doing in my life. 
what's happening? I'm not trusting him. And so another thing we see about envy is this. Envy is the opposite of faith. Now, say that you get envious over someone's job promotion, job success. It, it hasn't happened with you yet. You're envious over it. Well, why? Why not just wait patiently for your own? There's a trust issue there, isn't it? God, I don't trust you enough to bring along this job fulfillment, this career fulfillment to me. I can't wait patiently for that to happen in my life. Say that you get envious over someone's um, dating relationship happiness. why, Why get envy? Why not just wait patiently for your own? Because I'm having a hard time trusting that God will bring about that kind of fulfillment in in my life. Envy is the opposite of faith. There's a trust issue. Envy starts with not trusting God. And then we see with Cain and Abel, that distrust with God then gets transferred, gets projected on someone else. Just like it did with Cain not trusting God, and transferring that to Abel. So notice what happens when there is envy, when envy intensifies. And it's this, when envy is rampant in my heart, everyone is an enemy. Envy makes everyone an enemy. Because when you are envious of someone, that person comes across as a threat, seems like a threat, and a threat is an enemy. Look at verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 3 in Titus. It says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. That's, what, that's, what, that's a lifestyle of envy. When you're envious, when others are envious, You're being hated, and you're hating one another. Because envy makes everyone an enemy. It leads to hatred. Another thing about envy. Envy is an indicator that I'm using God. If I have these expectations for my life, and... I get resentful towards God when those expectations aren't being met. What does that say? It says that I'm using God. And so you have to ask, in my life, with my heart, am I coming to God more for God's gifts or for God himself? Envy implies an unmet expectation that I have for life. Okay, are you coming to God more to have those expectations met? Or are you coming to God because you love God for who God is himself? And so, envy often masks our anger with God. Was it Abel's fault that God did not accept Cain's offering? Of course not. Was it Abel's fault? 
And yet Cain took his anger out on Abel. And that violent reaction towards Abel, that, that envy, was just masking this anger with God. So if you are envious of someone, you have to think deeply, am I actually resentful or angry at God because of something going on in my life? And is that anger being masked in some way by how I'm feeling envious of other person over here? And so you see that this sin of murder that Cain committed actually was against God, wasn't it? He didn't trust God. He forced these expectations on life onto God, and he was trying to use God to get what he wanted in life, and he became bitter and angry towards God. His sin was against God, first and foremost. Now, worse than that, um, or compounding that, let's say, Cain just fails to show any repentance in this story. And God gives him several opportunities to repent. And let's talk a moment about repentance because it's a key part of the story and what we see going on with Cain. So, repentance. Repentance um, comes from the Hebrew word to turn. And God gives Cain several opportunities just to turn. Just to turn away from this bad road that he's going down. And and, and Cain just never, never turns. God gives him a, a chance to repent from the, the offering that was not as faithful as Abel's offering. He could, have, he could have turned to God, and he doesn't. And God responds graciously. He doesn't condemn Cain for his unfaithful offering. He just says, don't you see, do what's right, and won't you be accepted? Of course you will, Cain. There's just no repentance, no turning. God gives him another caution. He says, sin is lurking at your door. Stand up against it. It wants to devour you. It wants to ruin you. Stand up against it, Cain. And Cain could have turned towards God and said, okay, help me, help me, God. What we see about repentance is this. It's it's saying, God, I'm going to make a mess of my life and the life of others without you and your ways. And God's saying, come on, Cain. Sin wants to destroy you. Cain could have... Look, repentance ultimately is an act of humility, Cain could have humbled himself and said, God, I'm going I'm to ruin things without you. I want to turn to you because I'm going to make a mess out of everything. If I don't turn to you, that's the repentance that Cain could have shown, which he doesn't. And look, even after he kills Abel, there is still no repentance. You know, if I wonder what would have happened if Cain, I mean, yeah, he murders his brother. What if he fell before God? Cain, where is your brother? Oh my gosh, God, what have I done? What have I done? I wonder what would have happened if Cain had repented then and turned to God. He doesn't do that. What does he say? He says, am I my brother's keeper? And that word keeper, it's a beautiful word in Scripture. 
it, we, we find it over and over again. We, look at Psalm 121, for example. It happens all the, that word occurs over and over again in Psalm 121, verse 3. He who watches, same word as keeper. God, he who watches over you will not slumber. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. It's this beautiful word of, of protection and keeping and guarding and bringing security. My brother, Cain's saying, why would I want to do that? For my enemy, my brother. My, bro- my brother's keeper? No, I wouldn't want to do that for my enemy. And there's just no repentance. What has happened? Well, envy has just taken over his heart, hasn't it? And we see this progression, this dangerous progression. With repentance, sin becomes full-blown in my life. Martin Luther describes sin as humanity turned or curved towards itself. It's curved, it's it's the human heart turned inwardly and curving in on itself. Sin, in other words, makes everything about me. And Jesus tells this concrete parable, example of this in the parable of the workers where there's this landowner, and he hires workers to come work in his, his field, and he, they all agree on this, this, this wage, and it's, a, it's an agreeable wage, and some people work the entire day, some people work only half the day, and some workers are there just for an hour. And it's a picture of the human heart curving inwards towards itself because the workers who work there the entire day, they get resentful. They, they become envious of the workers that work just for an hour. They didn't do hardly any work. And I'm getting the same wage as they did, and, and everything becomes about them. And they miss out on the, the, the grace of the landowner. They forget that it's a, a fair wage that they agreed upon. It all becomes about themselves. And what we see in the story is when you curve in on yourself like this, you start to use others to build yourself up. Either you will celebrate the misfortune of others in order to prop yourself up, or you will become spiteful over the good fortune of others, as if they have harmed you in some way in order to kind of justify yourself. That's the, that's the life of, of a heart curved in on itself. And the consequence of Cain's deteriorated heart is that God's curse falls upon Cain. And God says, listen, the, the ground, it will not produce for you anymore. It's interesting, you look at Adam and Eve, and God says something similar to Adam. He says, the ground, well, it's going to be a lot harder to produce for you, but here with Cain, the ground will not produce for you anymore. 
What has just happened? The ground has become his enemy. And he has to become a, a lonely wanderer. Why? So that he can get food, because the ground will not grow him food anymore. The, the ground has become his enemy, and, and, and Cain says, I'm going to be a restless wanderer, and he starts um, fearing. He, he says to God, whoever finds me will kill me. So now Cain sees everyone as his enemy, because envy makes everyone an enemy, Right? And the Bible story says that Cain went out from the Lord's presence and he lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And the word Nod means wanderer, wandering. Nod becomes a literal land of wandering for Cain and also this figurative land of wandering for Cain. So think about Cain in the land of Nod and this consequence of his envy. And we see this important point, uh, the consequence of envy. Envy, living in envy is like being in a land where you feel unsafe and you're on your own, where everyone feels like a threat. Notice that life that is curved in on itself and how it just propagates sin. Because what do you do when you feel like you're all on your own and you have... There's no one on your side. What do you do? You start fending for yourself. You continue to even more have this inward focus because no one else is going to be watching after me. I've got to fend for myself. I've got to take care of number one first because no one else is looking after me. And what does Cain do? He goes and builds a city with this mindset. What kind of civilization do you think it would become with this mindset? So let's read, starting in verse 18. Verse 18. To Enoch was born Erod, and Erod was the father of Mehujael, and Mehujael was the father of Methushael, I'll tell you what the consequence is, is you live in a land where you can't pronounce anyone's names. And Methushael was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women. The first case of polygamy. Two women. One was named Ada and the other was Zillah and Let's jump down to verse 23 to find out what happens with Lamech. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech. <laughs> Men, don't try that at home. <laughs> Wife of mine, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech will be avenged 77 times. That's the picture of the society. There are several generations listed. I think Lamech is Cain's great, great grandson. And look at what Lamech says 
a young man hurt me, and so I killed him. Probably was a teenager. A teenager injured me, and so what did I do? I took his life. He compares himself to Cain. If, if someone took Cain's life, he would be avenged seven times. Well, with me, if I just get injured, that person is going to pay not just seven times, 77 times. What a prideful, self-centered boast. So that is what the city has come to. And that's exactly what we should expect, right? Because Cain's feeling that way. If Cain's feeling that way, that everyone is my enemy, that's, that's pretty significant. But what if it's not just Cain? What if it's every person in that society that feels everyone's my enemy? It would be a society where people undercut one another and throw one another under the bus so that there could be some self-preservation. I better protect myself. I cannot be the fall guy. One of you other people will have to be. Let's see what I can do about that. The danger of this society is how it just perpetuates itself and pulls people in to that lifestyle of fear. I remember uh, hearing a former executive at Whataburger talk about how a culture of fear can get established. And it wasn't at Whataburger that he was talking about. It was um, another, uh, well, he used to be, um, he he used to work for a high-level oil executive in the Middle East. I think it was Saudi Arabia. And he was talking about how the culture of fear just got settled in there. And he shared the story. He said, my boss, the first day that I was working for my boss, my boss told me this. um, If you fail, if I call you and you fail to answer the phone, you are fired on the spot. That's the culture of fear that was present at this, this workplace. Oil. Company, I don't know, place over there. I think about that. What, what, what happens if your boss says to you, if you don't perform, that's it, you're fired? Well, what are you going to tell the people working under you, underneath you? If you start living into that culture of fear, what are you going to say? You're going to say, well, if you don't work for me, if you don't perform for me, you're fired, Right? That's the culture of fear that can get set in. This is the kind of society we would expect to lead to the most bloody century in human history. The way of Cain is just a meltdown of of human society. Now, do you know that you were meant to help build a society? You know that? Adam and Eve were given the responsibility of growing and tending this garden to to help it to grow, to help it become a home so that a society could be built in the garden. That's that's what God asked them to do. Cain had an opportunity. He's building a city. What kind of city did he build? Not the one that God wanted him to build. You have an opportunity. We have an opportunity. Hope Church has an opportunity to help build the society in this Bay Area. What kind of society are we helping to build? Because this is God's mandate to us, build. There is a dif- different society that we can build. How, how do you do that? So just three, three ideas. One, let go of envy, okay? And aren't you glad that I told you that? Just let go of envy. 
Easier said than done. You don't get rid of envy just by gritting your teeth and willpower and just saying over and over again, get rid of envy, get rid of envy. That, that won't work. How do you get rid of envy? Well, one idea, stop seeing people as your enemy. And um, maybe the best way to do this is to notice how God treated Cain. Because he gives Cain every opportunity to repent and turn, and Cain just doesn't do it. And the only remorse that Cain shows, it's not, it's not really that he took his brother's life, is it? The remorse that Cain shows is the consequence of what happens to him. Now he has to be a, a restless wanderer. And that's when he shows remorse because of his own misfortune. And you're right when you think, okay, God, this is now it is your time to get your thumb on Cain and just, just do that. Right when we think God has every reason just to do that to Cain, what does God do? He, he actually protects Cain. Cain feels fierce, I'm going to lose my life. And God says, no, no, you're not. I'm going to protect you. Cain gives God no reason for God to show him mercy, but God shows him mercy anyway. See, God doesn't treat people as his enemy. And if God doesn't treat people as his enemy, then I really don't have to treat people like my enemy. You know, we sang that song, I'm going to raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. We are not supposed to think of a person when we sing those words. Because the Bible says, our enemy is not flesh and blood. It's not other people. It's spiritual forces. It's the devil. It's rulers, dark rulers in, in the spiritual realm. That's our enemy, not, not other people. Don't see other people as your enemy. Because God doesn't treat people as his, as, as his enemies. The second step is this. When I see the goodness of God, I will celebrate no matter who receives it. Just to to live that out. See, when you're envious, your first thought when you see the goodness of coming to someone else is, I feel jealous. I, I feel like I'm being slighted. Um, I resent that. Don't let that be your first thought. Instead, let your first thought be, God, just try this out. When you see goodness come to someone else, think, think first, God, thank you for being such a gracious God that Good things happen to people that don't even deserve it. You're that kind of a God. I thank you for your goodness. Let that be your first thought. And when that is your first thought, what are you doing? You're celebrating God. Second thing, refuse to get even in building this other society. Refuse to get even. Don't even want it. Don't let that anger build up inside of you. When God confronted Cain over Abel's murder, he said, even your brother's blood cries out from the ground. What was that blood crying out for? It was crying out for vengeance, for getting even. And yet, and yet, God showed grace to Cain. And we don't need to get even because we live in God's world, the the world of grace. Hebrews 12, verse 22 says this, But you have come to Mount Zion, 
You've come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See, Abel's blood cried out for vengeance. Jesus' blood on the cross cries out for something else, cries out for forgiveness. Jesus puts an end for the need of vengeance. You see, when, when Lamech gave that boastful cry, if anyone aven- uh, injures me, let them be avenged 77 times, did that remind you of anything? Because one day, the disciple Peter asked Jesus, how many times should we forgive? Seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, who do you think Jesus was thinking of when he said that? He was thinking of Lamech and his ways of vengeance. And Jesus says, put away vengeance. You don't need it. Why? Because God is the only one who has the right to vengeance. And yet God doesn't claim it. God releases that. God doesn't lay hold of that against our sins. He, he could have, but he let go of that so that he could love you. Don't you see? Jesus became for us who Cain should have been for his younger brother Abel. Abel needed for Cain to be his brother's keeper. Abel needed Cain to be happy living right with God and watching over his younger brother. And that is exactly who Abel did not receive, but that is who we did receive in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is that older brother to us who is our keeper. He watches over us. He watches over you. He keeps you. He guards you. Third, and building this other kind of society, look for ways to demonstrate repentance. Because God gave Cain all these chances and he just skipped them all. And the more Cain failed to repent, the more his heart got hardened until, until he was no longer able to repent. When you get envious, trust deeply in your older brother who is your keeper. He will watch over you. Celebrate the goodness of God that you see when it comes to others. That is us living in God's world of grace and celebrate God. See that as a sign that there is more goodness for you. It's not like, okay, now there's less good for for me. (laughs) That, That amount of goodness is now less. No, 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 that's a sign of even more goodness. for you to receive because you live in God's world. And when you feel like someone is your enemy, repent and turn from that. And when you do that, you will help build God's city, God's society, God's kingdom right here. Let's pray. Lord, we we thank you that this is your city. You're building it. You're going to bring your kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done right here in my life, in my neighborhood, in my community, Lord. May it begin with me as I turn away from envy, as I run to you 
as I repent. Lord, we pray that you would receive us. We know that you will because the promise is that whenever we repent of our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and you will not turn us away. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, we pray that that grace would infiltrate our hearts and change us and give us hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.